waking up is not enough flourishing in the human space a podcast by Polly young eisendraft and michael berger when you peek into the cosmic unity of existence and feel the love and inspiration of awakening what happens next whether it's through meditation spiritual practice near-death experience ingesting a mind-altering substance or being born again you don't get a map for improving your messy life in this podcast Polly young eisendraft and michael berger draw on expertise in science psychology adult development psychedelics ndes dreams and buddhist practice in conversations about compassion resilience responsibility kindness and development after awakening you will learn how to chart a new path for flourishing in the human space in which waking up is important but not enough and growing up is never finished co-hosts Polly young eisendraft and michael berger bring different kinds of expertise Polly is an author psychologist union analyst longtime zen practitioner couple therapist and founder of dialogue therapy and real dialogue michael berger is an entrepreneur an expert in psychedelics a spiritual practitioner of jewishness a skeptic a real dialogue specialist and a filmmaker who is known for his documentary improbable collapse the demolition of our republic Polly and Mike will engage with each other and invite a wide array of guests who are accomplished scientists and seekers whose work lies beyond the hegemony of materialism. In this episode of Waking Up, Flourishing in the Human Space, Polly and Mike speak with renowned guest Ken Wilbur, on the complexities of meaningful communication in contemporary society. The dialogue delves into various themes, including stage theory, developmental psychology, the challenges of navigating woke culture, the resurgence of psychedelic experiences, and the pursuit of personal and spiritual growth. We're so pleased to have this conversation because in many ways, your work stands behind a lot of our planning for this podcast, the podcast being that waking up is not enough. And we're especially interested in the implications of adult development being different for each individual yeah. and the implications also of, you know, the vast number of people who are conformist and are very susceptible to propaganda. Yeah, well, it's a very important issue this issue of waking up and as well as growing up. And then I also include opening up, cleaning up and showing up. They're all important, but particularly important is the difference between waking up and growing up because so many severe problems have occurred with people in fairly low stages of growing up can still have fairly profound experiences of waking up but if they're at a fairly low stage of growing up and you said everybody grows up differently and that's true 
except there are generalized stages that everybody goes through. And those are essentially quite similar in their deep structure for everybody. But there are very many different models of growing up. So you study with Jane Lovinger, who has one of the most widely accepted models of ego development or self-development, but there's also moral development, cognitive development, aesthetic development, spiritual development, and so on. And people can be at different stages on any of those lines. And it's really problematic when somebody at a lower egocentric or power stage has a strong waking up experience. It, it can be relatively rare, but it does happen. And, and it's very common when people get to what I call the mythic or concrete operational stage. It's very common for mythic people to have waking up experiences. And some schools of Christianity, Pentecostal, actually induce a cosmic consciousness, or I and, and the Father are one, or... Mm -hmm. And not I, but Christ lives in mm -hmm. me type of experiences. And that's the whole basis of their teaching. And yet they are interpreting that waking up experience according to the stage of growing up that the movement is generally at. And it's generally at a mythic, fundamentalistic Christian stage. Right. And that's very problematic. That's extremely problematic because the fundamentalist belief confuses mythic realities with real reality. Mm -hmm. So it's like Zeus and Apollo and Mount Olympus and Aphrodite and all of those are real realities. Only right. they have a reality of Jesus Christ who isn't just a typical human being who had a profound waking up experience, which I believe is what actually the situation is, but he's the one and only biological son of the one and only creator of the entire universe, crusades to religious warfare and soaking people their money. I mean, it's just, it's not very good. No, it's not. And you know, since probably it's pretty easy for our listeners to critique Christian fundamentalism yeah. in the way that you're speaking about it and to understand that the waking up is profound and it's real, but they're waking up in the frame of reference that they're living in. And that frame of reference in your language is mythic. And I would say, you know, in my language of Lovenders, it's more conformist. But right. it's, all, it's all the same thing. It's a kind of rigid belief that there's the good and the bad, the, right. the, the all or nothing. And, and the one true way. One true way. So I'm going to conform to you. Right. And so I'm going to shift gears a little on the same kind of question, but I'm going to uh, ask you to comment on what has been happening in our country since October 7th. You know, there's this incredible split in public opinion and media, and among, let's say, people that I would say are post-conformist, that they are the people that often are controlling the larger conversation about conscience and about looking at the world from the point of view of some complexity. But since this October 7th invasion of Israel by Hamas, there have been many polarizations and hostile conflicts leading to fragmentation and splitting such as the resignation of Claudine Gay, 
as the president of Harvard. And that was just really months after she was installed as the right. president of Harvard. And But she was criticized by her board and by many very wealthy donors for the position that she did take and the position that she didn't take regarding students speaking out about their pro-Palestinian views. So from your perspective in integral theory or any perspective you want to take, how do you interpret what's happening among, let's say, liberals, progressives, that post-conformist group in the U.S. since October 7th and leading to Claudine Gay's resignation? Yeah, well, the problem with the post-conformist view is what I call the rational orange stage of development. Lovinger recognizes as the stage. And then I have first post-rational or pluralistic or so-called postmodern stage. And the difficulty with being at rationality or post-rationality, postmodern, post-conformist stage, one of the problems is that for the past decade or two, we have been developing what's called a woke version. And that to me is the pluralistic postmodern stage gone sour. Mm. It's just gotten out, gotten out of control. And it goes from a pluralistic view, which is seeing all of these differences and, and um, uh, subdividing the rational universal view and coming up with multicultural and pluralistic views is that the woke version of those is what, and I call that postmodern stage, the green stage of development. And the problem with the green stage is that it's post-rational, but it's not yet truly integral. Right, right. And, and that brings about several problems. One of the difficulties, what green does is it looks at the universal rational systems that orange or self-esteem. It's not yet Lovinger's autonomous or integrated stages. That's right. Those right. are truly integral right. stages, second tier. I call them teal and turquoise. It can take the universal rational systems and divide them up into pluralistic versions. And those pluralistic versions, though, include a woke version. And that woke version is, is pluralism gone insane. Um, and it's a postmodern form criticism. And so what you get with the woke version is a fragmented view that the pluralistic multiple systems that it creates are pluralistic, but they can become fragmented very easily because they're separate, they're pluralistic, they're postmodern. So they're already separated. And when you latch on to those differences, then you'll talk things like equality, fraternity, identity, and you well, just, justice, is, justice is one of the big ones. You know, this idea of justice and safety coming in from a perspective that seems to me in some ways similar to the evangelical awakening. You know, it's yeah. 
there is this rigidity about this is the way it is. And of course, in, in Lovinger's terms, it would be past the conscientious into the individualistic, but right. not yet autonomous. And so right. everybody's got their own version of justice, their right. own version of diversity or inclusion. But right. those those versions have this, the, the implication is it's right or wrong. It's an right. all or nothing. So it, it's almost back to that same kind of fundamentalism you were describing. I actually uh, see it as a regression. Ah, and yeah. Because it does have this extreme right or wrong right. justice view, then it really reactivates that conformist or yeah. Yeah. You know, view. And so right. they do start to sound, well, as a matter of fact, many public intellectuals are stating their belief that this wokeness is a, quote, new American religion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it is a new mm -hmm. fundamentalist form of religion. And it mm -hmm. really is that. Yeah, it seems and like it. And then you get the issue of the people that are pro-Palestinian or the people that are pro-Israel, each one of them calling the other one genocidal. Right. And each one of them calling the other one inhumane and, and non-human. Right. And it seems like it's a breaking down again of heaven and hell or, you know, the, the right and the wrong with now essentially fairly complex thinkers who sound simple-minded, you know? Yeah. So you can get someone like Claudine Gay, whom I admire, sounding still like the bad guys are coming after Harvard. You yeah. know, we have to protect Harvard. Really? I mean, I was very sorry that she resigned, but yeah. I don't think that Harvard- Especially so is, quickly. So quickly, yes, right. That's right. It was like she didn't stay for the fight. And she's the first black president of Harvard University, and it lasted right. about three months. That is not good news. That no. is not good news. And uh, really, it's intelligent people sounding as though they have a fundamentalist perspective in the framework of complexity. I mean, it's weird. It is weird. Yeah, it is. And I think that's a classic example of different lines of development developing to different levels. So in the cognitive domain, what we have on both the Israel side and the Palestinian side is at least a fair number of people that are intellectually quite complex and quite sophisticated. As you said, the barbs that they throw at each other are fairly sophisticated and complex charges and accusations. But they're, they, their self-sense has regressed to that conformist, fundamentalist, religious, mythic view. Yeah. And so you get very complex charges of very conformist and pig-headed accusation. And this is a classic example to me of levels and lines, that each mm -hmm. line can develop to a different level. And there hasn't been as much research done on that, although there's enough overall research that you can put it together and get a sense of it. But psychologists differ on how many multiple intelligences there are. Most yeah. of them agree that we do have multiple intelligences. So there's a cognitive develop, uh, intelligence, emotional intelligence, academic or spiritual intelligence, aesthetic intelligence, uh, self development, self-development, ego development, 
but there hasn't been that much specific research on testing individuals for each of those lines of development and seeing how they fit together. But if you look at all the research that's done in all the various lines, especially ego development and cognitive development, and you put it all together, you can get the sense of uneven development in the multiple lines. And I think that wokeness in particular is a classic example of somebody developing all the way to the autonomous or even integrated stages of development in their cognitive line but mm -hmm. not in their self line. And so we get the, I mean, woke is, is such a, as a philosophy, it's simplistic, it's fairly dim-witted, it's fairly low level, it's mostly mythic conformist reality, mm -hmm. but there are still people that have access to fairly complex thinking. And so yes, I, I, I think the thing is, and, and I'd like to bring Mike in on this, but, you know, we, we're working at the Center for Real Dialogue. We're working on trying to develop skills so that people can speak about their differences without dehumanizing each other. And when it comes to some aspects of, of diversity, equity, and inclusion, particularly the equity part, there is so much judgment and splitting that it's not possible for people to even carry through a conversation about sometimes very slight differences right. because their emotional activation is moving right away towards condemning, right. condemning the other side. And it's a very sad situation when you're with a group of people who are all trying their best, I believe, to formulate a new way of belonging for people that have previously been minorities, disadvantaged, whatever, you know, I mean, I have been working in anti-racism and feminism for many, many years, but it's like the situation has changed in a way that is so problematic because of the fundamentalist attitude, what you call the mythic right. attitude. It's an right. all or nothing. And if you don't participate in it in exactly this way, you're called out and you're canceled. I think this may connect with one of the questions that I had put together, which is, so given in the context of the conversation, what do you, what strategies do you recommend or do you think are even possible for countering propaganda, for trying to break through to maybe somebody in that particular line and stage? Right. Well, I think ultimately the only thing that works is to teach them the developmental sequences and point out, look, this is where you're coming from when you talk this, but look at how, when you talk this way, look where you're coming from. Look how low, look how regressive you've got, particularly when you have diversity, equity, and inclusion, as you mentioned. The equity, you said they can hardly talk about equity. Equity resonates very much with egoic conformist power modes. And in the conformist mythic stage, it's a very dualistic stage. All myths are. And that means it's very right or wrong. We're all right or we're all wrong. And if you're going to talk and not include equity and inclusivity and diversity, we just, we're not going to let you talk at all. 
we're yeah. going to shout you down. Right. And suddenly across universities in America, they're teaching this alternative conformist fundamentalist religion. Yeah, and, yeah. And, it's, and it's, it teaches a hierarchy of victims. There's like yes. a hierarchy of victims. And it's, you're, you're right, it's a conformist approach. And it is being taught. It's being taught. Yeah, it's not it just. Is. And that's just, that's very, very sad. Um, especially this, if you don't agree with me in my conformist mythic attitude, I'm not going to even let you speak. I mean, free speech is just trashed. Yeah. And they actually have students saying free speech is oppressive. Yeah. Oh, really? How, how did, are you are you sure you're allowed to say that? Uh, you have free to say that. Um, but the universities backing this is what's so alarming to me. I mean, because uh, for virtually their entire existence, a university was a place where you went to think free thoughts and to have an enormous academic freedom and opening. And what you were being taught was how to be an open and free thinker. You weren't right. being taught, oh, and if they disagree with you on this one point, shout them down. Right. And that's yeah. exactly what the universities are all. Uh, and I think that that ties in a little bit with the Harvard president. Yeah. I think yeah. she just got a little too tied up with a certain woke attitude. Yeah. And she yeah. canceled herself. Yeah. So just immediately, I mean, just a few months in, and she said, "That's it. I'm out." Yeah, and it she, was a kind of all-or-nothing move on her part. You know, right. it was because she did have the support of the faculty; even the board was supporting her. And but she didn't like the attacks, and of course, she was getting attacked by the other side of the liberal. It wasn't really. Yeah, she was being right. uh, she was being questioned by a Republican, but the other side of the liberal kind of strain. From Steven Pinker to Jonathan Haidt, whom I like a great deal, yep. but the, these these people were going after her because of their own thoughts about their own feelings. I think also about Israel. So, right. yeah, it was. Uh, so, Mike, did you have more that you wanted to say? Yeah, about I, just following up. So we're discussing it both at the level of the individual and at the level of society. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I recall you do speak to when a certain number of people get to a certain stage. It's as if it makes it easier for people to move up. So in the context of the conversation about wokeness, how do you see where we are now as a society in this country? Um, it's not good. Um, and it's not good in proportion to how widespread wokeness is. There are woke versions of, of course, all political parties. But the especially woke version comes from the specifically liberal leftist portion. Again, that's because the left, generally speaking, has pushed into the postmodern pluralistic green stage of development. And that's not a truly integral stage. That is a pluralistic stage. And, and that is the stage where they uh, there's been a bit of a regression, and liberals have are championing this woke perspective, and it's it has caught on like wildfire. Almost all 
universities because they're known as bastions of liberal pluralistic thinking are prime for takeover by this new religion. So I've given America a, a C or even C minus overall because it is spread throughout our culture. It's spread into Buddhist groups. There are so many Buddhist centers and groups that yeah. are allied in a very strict way and kind of suddenly with a certain ideology that does not come from Buddhism. Right. Well, exactly. Um, it comes from the amber conformist mythic stage of development. Whenever we regress from a rational stage, the first stage you run into is the mythic. Yeah. And yeah. so it's not a very far trip to slip. Yeah. And yeah. People do that in their own in their own relationships too. I mean, you know, you can be very open minded towards your partner, towards your friend, and then you're triggered and you slip into the all or nothing. You know, if you right. say that once more, I'm leaving the room. And you're right; it's a, it's right. an automatic kind of reactivity towards an earlier organization of your own development. And right. then when it's, when it's collective, it tends always towards a kind of propaganda. And there right. is kind of propaganda about wokeness, about DEI, about a lot of principles that would have to be worked out in a very subtle way with a lot of free speech in order for them to be effective for large numbers of people. And of course, that has not happened in universities in these recent years. Universities, no. by and large, the most elite ones, you know, except yeah. maybe the University of Chicago, it took a different position. They've, they've gone down this rabbit hole that they're very far down now. There's a lot of cancel culture. There's yep. a lot of shouting down. So yep. um, it's not a good it's not a good place for supposedly the complex thinkers of the country. Right. And again, the, the only ultimate way out of this new religious wokeism is if developmentalism in general becomes a topic, a real topic of conversation. Because what is the problem? The problem is people sliding down to earlier versions of themselves right. and being encouraged by the university and by the society to become woke. And woke equals regression. Yeah, yeah. And so the only way you can actually work with somebody who's becoming woke is to say, let me talk to you about stages of development. And you can even, I often use Gene Gepser's because he used very simple terms, archaic, magic, mythic, rational, pluralistic, and integral. And I'll usually use those because they fit broadly with most developmental models, including Jane Levinger's. And then I'll just say, notice how you're moving from pluralistic through even rational down into a mythic conformist absolutistic stage of thinking whereas everything is all right or all wrong and if anybody disagrees with what you're thinking at your regressed level you're going to tell them to shut up you're going to say i'm walking out of here and shame on you so yeah. the more you can get them thinking just even in terms of archaic magic mythic rational pluralistic and integral the only success i've had with people that are really woke is by talking them through that developmental sequence um 
And then you can always recommend, hey, uh, go read Shane Levenger's work or even Robert Keegan, even though he has a very simplified five-ish stage model. Uh, I find Shane Levenger particularly uh, effective. And of course, her test is the most widely used test. Right, for right. So that's terrific. And I'm, I'm so delighted to hear that you studied with her. I'm sure you had some criticisms and stuff, but... <laughs> I, I was with Jane, uh, well, I was her graduate student for about four years, and then I continued working, doing research on ego development for 10 years. I was at Bryn Mawr College, and of course, and I knew Jane all of her life. Jane was a difficult taskmaster. She was yeah. a taskmaster. She was a mathematician. She was a scientist. She was not a touchy-feely person in the slightest, and so if... If one did not have a fairly thick skin, you yourself don't have a thick skin, or you do. No, well, I had a lot of Zen training before I went there. I oh. started out with Zen training when I was 22. So I had gone through working on koans. I had also been practicing shikantaza by the time I got to be Jane's graduate student. And so I realized really when I was studying with her initially in her seminar, that she was uh, open to humiliating people for their lack of intelligence. Yeah. And um, it's not my style, but yeah. I knew that if I knew that she was onto something that I had never encountered right. and she was good at it and she was shaping those of us who worked closely on her research, she shaped us into tools like we... Yeah understood these differences and even the subtle differences. I endured in that space very well because of my Zen training. And even with that, when I was defending my dissertation, I had almost a breakdown because, I mean, it took all of my Zen training because of the things that she said to me when I was actually defending in that encounter. And then afterwards, after I succeeded, she was my friend forever. I mean, truly, I passed the uh -huh. test. She never questioned me again. She was always in my camp. She was a delight through her later years. She she also got cognitive impairment, some kind of you know cognitive decline at the end of her life. But her daughter, her only daughter, died uh, quite prematurely of breast cancer, which uh, in her forties, uh -huh. and that that set Jane back quite a lot. But yeah. but you know the the main thing I want to say about Jane is that she knew what she was doing. There yeah. really wasn't anyone else, even Kohlberg. Even, you know, Valiant or Keegan, none of those others were doing the kind of research she was. It was very refined. It was very, very good. So, yeah. Um, but getting back to the topic, and again, I'd like to bring in the issues of the propaganda about wokeness and so on, because I'm kind of in the midst of working in that world myself and trying to figure out how to how to speak to people. One of the problems in speaking about stage development is that when people listen, they believe it's talking about a linear sequence. Yeah, and, and I, a hierarchy, which yeah, is hierarchy. still That's problematic. Right. That's right. And, and of course, it's not. It's the recontextualizing a paradigm, yeah. which is sure. hard to explain to people. You could say, oh, this yeah. is recontextualizing a paradigm. What? You know, what does that mean? But it's not linear. It's, it's actually the way nature develops. It's from one system into another. Right. And the new the new system integrates the older system. However, right. you, when you regress, you disintegrate. You go back right. into an 
earlier organization. Honestly, in this environment of wokeness, it's very hard to get a few sentences out about stages of development. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, And I usually, when I start my little intro speech with somebody who's woke and I'm trying to help them, usually because they've asked for help. Um, And so that puts them in a largely different space right there because they're asked for help. They're open relatively to new ideas. But I'll start out by saying, I'm going to present what's called a stage sequence. And the first thing you realize is this is not a linear sequence. And your overall development has many different stages, and they all can be at different degrees of development. So your overall development is very multiplied, very multiplistic, very pluralistic even. But I, I'm struck by how many things you and I have in common. Zen Buddhism, of course, is a major force in my life. And the two, I would say the two most influential sort of various schools that I've been drawn to are Zen and developmental psychology. And in developmental mm-hmm. psychology, I have recognized Jane Lovinger. And then when you, even when you talked about um, the, her, I think, daughter dying of breast cancer, Yes. Of course, my wife, Freya, had breast cancer. So I was just listening to all of these things resonating with what you were talking. And it's really quite astonishing. Yes, we have covered is. same yes. areas. We have. And I, I, I've i been aware of that, Ken. I haven't known you so well, but I've known you off and on. And, and I was very aware that we had these similarities. I do believe there are certain kinds of people who are searching for truth. Right. And um, and they're fairly rare because right. most people are searching for comfort, honestly, right. and then to be liked. If you're searching for truth, it's not comfortable and people aren't going to like you at the end of it, you know? So it's it's rare. Jane Lovinger was searching for truth. Yeah. And a lot of that people became, do not like that. That was very obvious from yeah. her work. Yeah. yeah. I'm wanting to bring Mike back in. Mike is in St. Louis, which, you know, he went to Washington University as an undergraduate and he and I shared a professor who was part of my dissertation committee. And this professor was also a sort of intimidated by Jane, who directed my dissertation, but also willing to fight with Jane, which was unusual. And so his name was Richard de Charms, and he he studied motivation, human motivation, and he had his own theory. And so Mike Berger came to one of my trainings in Real Dialogue, and Mike and I started talking about the self as an agent and how the self creates worlds. It's not just being you know, an individual, but you create a whole world. Right. And then Mike, Mike and I have been working together for, I don't know, now about three years, I think. And uh, he's part of, of the team at the Center for Real Dialogue. But Mike's coming at things, has been coming at things more from the sort of psychedelic waking up side. So that's been an interesting part of the conversation for me because I I didn't really take psychedelics at, at all. I, I once did, but I, it was not my thing. I, the one time I did take LSD, it was not a good experience. And, and I took it under under the advisement of a group of people at Bryn Mawr 
who, who I was on a committee at Bryn Mawr on interpretation and criticism, and they wanted me to take LSD. I hadn't taken it. I'd had a lot of Zen experience, but they wanted to just see what would happen. And I, I took it and, and it was not, it was not a good happening. Fortunately, I was able to keep track of it, but I had essentially a, a psychotic, uh, like experience because I could, yeah, I, I could watch my, my mind, but it yeah. was, it was disintegrating in the same way that Machio happened in um, Zen meditation. It was a Machio. It right. was like a, a total Machio with me observing it for about right. nine hours. And so it was exhausting. But, uh, you know, I'm very interested in the different kinds of waking up uh, and also in the ways that anybody who's interested in truth, how can we help right now? You know, right. um, because isn't well, it, you know, it's difficult. Yeah. One of the um, reasons that Zen and developmental psychology were two very important influences on me. And I came to see that one is dealing primarily with waking up and one primarily with growing up. And there's there's some real differences between waking up and growing up. And one of the most important ones I discovered, I started, I sort of fell onto developmental psychology when I was 13 or 14. And I had a, a spontaneous Satori when hmm. I was 13. Hmm. So, um, but I really didn't know much about it, except I was one with everything, one mm -hmm. with the entire universe and bliss and love and radiant being. When I hit on Lovinger, because Lovinger would all often discuss what her how her stages fit with other models' stages. Right. Yes. And when I just sort of got that notion, because this was right when I was going through my sort of integral, early stages of integral development and integral evolution, I was struck by the fact that, well, I can actually look at all these different developmental models, and they're all working on a different developmental line, a different multiple intelligence. But you can see they're all going through essentially similar stages. And even though they all give them different names, when they describe them, you can they using the same words and the same perspectives and the same dimensions. And so when I first then started studying Zen, well, I had basically done a book called Integral Psychology. And mm -hmm. in the back are charts of over a hundred developmental models with the names of their stages. And you can look through and see how they're all very, very similar stuff. Oh, I, I studied that book. I studied that book. I, I know exactly the book that you're talking about because that was the first way I met you was through that book. I, uh, I, I studied it and read it, and I was like, "Oh my God, he he knows Lovinger's work also." But yeah, yeah. But you you included the kitchen sink. I mean, you included everything in there. Exactly, and and then when I first started studying Zen, because I ran across a writer called D.K. Suzuki which, as you probably know, wrote books like Essays in Zen Buddhism. Right. And he was a very accomplished Zen practitioner and Zen master, in a sense. But he didn't teach students. He became a writer. And he right. wrote like 20 books on Zen Buddhism. Right. And when I was reading volume, the first of his books was a three-volume set called Essays in Zen Buddhism. And I started reading that. 
And I had already sort of drawn together all the Western developmental psychology models. And I saw, I had this, I call it the spectrum of consciousness, which just the similarity of many of these levels of development. And so I it all sort of had that worked out in my head and I had written about it. But when I started studying Zen, the first thing I noticed was that there were stages in Zen. Mm-hmm. And can stand oxerting pictures, for example. Right. Right. And I just sort of my initial assumption was, well, oh my God, this is the same developmental sequence as the growing up stages that I came up with. And I, I just thought, well, wow, it's everywhere. <laughs> um, but the more I tried to fit growing up in with these waking up stages, the more I realized they weren't really covering yeah. the same stuff. And one of the biggest examples is. When you have a Zen Satori, mm-hmm. or if you go through a stage of Zen development, like when you get to the 10th, the 8th Zen ox herding picture is an empty circle. Right. When, you, when you actually experience emptiness, you know it. And if yeah. you have experience of oneness with the universe and bliss and love, you are fully aware of that. And you get most of its details and you can't miss it because it's literally a first person experience. And the first person perspective is described as the perspective of the person who's speaking. So it's an I, E, mine, it's the upper left quadrant. Right. And the second person is the person spoken to. So that's a you or a thou. And it's a plural of I, which is we. So in every we has an I and a, a you or a thou in it. And that's the lower left quadrant. And then the third person is the person or thing being spoken about. Well, Waking up experiences are all first-person, direct, immediate experiences. When you have it, you know it, you can't miss it, you're full of it. Growing up stages aren't first-person experiences. Most people don't even know they're at a stage of growing up. If you talk about, hey, you're at this stage, they have no idea what you're talking about. And when I first stumbled on developmental psychology, I had no idea that I had actually gone through eight or nine stages Mm. of development. Because even if you introspect, you won't see, oh, I'm at a power stage, or I'm at a conformist stage, or I'm at a rational stage. It just doesn't dawn on you. And even though there are like maybe seven uh, to nine stages, archaic, magic, mythic, rational, pluralistic, integral. You don't track when you move from one stage to another. I mean, when you finally move from mythic to sort of a rational stage, you don't wake up one morning and go, oh, I'm <laughs> rational now. Right. Wow. Right. <laughs> so uh, there's a waking up is very different from growing up, but you, you experience both of those. And that's what we were talking about. Some people at at very mediocre stages of growing up can have relatively serious waking up experiences. And that's true. I found that that's true across multiple intelligences and different lines, first, second, third person development. Almost all of our multiple intelligences can be at different stages of development or growth. And so, so I, I wonder though, and I, again, I'm wanting to bring Mike in here because you and I are so knowledgeable about what we're knowledgeable about, but uh, you know, it, it seems to me at, at Jane's, at Jane's highest stage, her integrated stage, 
And you right. know, I and I happen to know that I scored there on the sentence completion test because eventually she told all of us that she had chosen to be on her research group. That that's how she picked us. She yeah. would give, she would give these tests. You know, she would give the sentence completion test in her seminar on ego development. And then if she had any I sixes, she would choose them to come and work yeah. for her because she needed people that had that level in order to score the higher stages. She was right. very, she's very pragmatic. Jane was extremely right. pragmatic. Right. I would say at Jane's highest stage, there is a comprehensive sense of what I would tend to call a democratizing of interest or intelligence. It's like across right. many, many domains, right. You're, right. you're applying this same, it's an aesthetic, it's spiritual, it's it's relational, um, right. and but and that happens only at the integral stage. Only at the at integral the stage. stage, and That's all right. before that, there's right. not. That's right, right, and 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 you know, once you get to that, it's sort of alienating socially, because yeah. there's yeah. nobody who can affirm what right. you're experiencing because other people haven't experienced it. And after right. a while, you get the message, you know, that you don't want to convey all of this because there's a way in which people think, well, who are you? You know, like, where'd you come yeah. up with all that? And, and so it's, it's, it's also sort of socially and emotionally alienating. And I learned over time to be careful about yeah. the different kinds of insights, but, you know. Yeah, you can get an enormous amount of social trouble. A lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. Yeah, and then and then also a very huge misunderstanding of, of what I'm saying sometimes because I guess the idea is that somehow I think I'm superior to everybody right. or something like that. And well, um, somebody who's not at the integrated stage can't think in that yeah. integrated way. Right. And so they're by definition not going to understand you when you're right. talking from that level. Right. From that level. And that, but then- to try to say one more thing about the Zen thing. So, you know, I originally practiced with Philip Kaplow. After he died, I practiced with Shinzen Young. And then Shinzen Young, Shinzen Young, Shinzen, who's, who's an interesting character. I learned a lot from him. And then since then, I have practiced with some Tibetan teachers. And then really, I've been doing more Pure Land practices in yep. these recent years because that plus POA, because that's where everything led. I've been reading Sasaki Roshi. I've never practiced with him. But over time, I've come to know Mark Uno, who was one of his translators, and Shinzen Young, who was another translator. Yeah. But just recently reading Manifesting Zen, I've read it three times, I realize that he is also envisioning this same arc of development. It's yeah. the arc of development of the entire space-time. It's, it's all of samsara is going through this same kind of integration that truly is represented in these stage theories and yeah. also in physics. I mean, in, in, in sciences, it's the same series of logics that are developing in the same arc. And it's, it's pretty amazing to see the level of particularity and precision in the descriptions, whether they're from Zen, from stage theory, or now from physics in in some cases going beyond space-time and the idea that consciousness is generating space-time, there's something that's that's very remarkable that I would say I feel very grateful in my little itty-bitty lifetime here. I've been able to see this arc that seems to me to be where everything 
King is going. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment right now to go to realdialogue.com and join our membership community. For a short time, we're offering annual and lifetime membership in the Real Dialogue community at a very limited cost. There you have access to countless hours of teachings, interviews, conversations with Polly, Mike, and prominent scientists, sages, and seekers who share your interests in waking up and flourishing. Again, go to realdialogue.com, join in a live conversation with Polly and Mike through your membership. The second Tuesday of each month, we have an AMA that we do together. As always, we really look forward to meeting you and to hearing your perspective. Please like and share the podcast with friends and family. If you know of people who you think would benefit from this conversation and would like to take part in our monthly AMAs, consider sharing this with family and friends and consider giving them the gift of membership in our community. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Coltrane and is part of the Center for Real Dialogue. It is available on all major podcast channels for free. Thank you for listening. And I also would like to just take a moment to announce the upcoming foundational training in Real Dialogue and Dialogue Therapy being held in Stowe, Vermont at the Trap Lodge. There are three four-day sessions in the next training. Session two will be February 1st through 4th, and session three will be April 18th to the 21st of 2024. For more information, you can go to realdialogue.com and from the menu, select foundational training. All the details are there. If you have any questions about the training, or anything in the podcast, you can email me at mike at realdialogue.com.